are listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Ark podcast. My name is Jennifer Benke. I am the Associate Director for Evangelization, and today I am joined by Sister Pat Werman, the Delegate for Religious. Sister Pat, how are you? I'm good. Great. Uh, Thank you so much for agreeing yesterday on our uh, conversation um, today, and I wanted to ask you, what is a Delegate of Religious? The Delegate for Religious, um, which also is common, more commonly known as the Vicar for Religious, the term has changed a little bit because there was a time where uh, it was that whole idea that um, women couldn't be vicars, and so they changed the name to Delegate. However, in some dioceses, including archdioceses across the river, people are still called Vicar for Religious, or they're called promoter of consecrated life. There's a lot of different names. But basically, what I am is the liaison for the cardinal between himself and the men and women religious and the others who are also in consecrated life. So we have one hermit, and we have four um, women who are uh, consecrated virgins, and we also have uh, several secular institute uh, people, some of which I I know they exist, but I don't know where they are. (laughs) But I uh, represent the cardinal to them and try to listen to their needs and speak in his behalf. So I, I, one time I said to him, you know, um, they were cutting my time short. And I said to him, you know, I don't report to you. I said, I represent you. And because I represent you, I need to know who Joseph Tobin is because I speak in his name, not in Patricia Warman's name. So it's a joy. Uh, my, my ministry is really among the men and women religious of the diocese and those who encounter with them um, in our ministries. So I enjoy it. I love it. And um, my life experience, I think, has led me to this place where I can really appreciate the variety, the diverse um, ministries, but also the different charisms that each of the religious communities bring to the church. That's something that we spoke about yesterday, especially um, as we we're briefly talking about uh, Pope Francis and the Synod. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that you really thought that the importance of being able to appreciate the different spiritualities of oh, yeah. our church. You want to? Well, yeah, I mean, because God calls each of us. You know, it's the Spirit of God, not us, who decide these things. And. Um, Different religious institutes and societies, associations, were all founded at different times in history and in different ways for different reasons. For example, I'm a member of the Order of Preachers, and St. Dominic was one of, with St. Francis, were the 13th century reformers of the church. And our mission is to preach the word. But 
there's so many different ways that we come to do that. And sometimes, you know, we look at each other and say, oh, you're more conservative or you're too liberal or you wear a habit and I don't wear a habit, whatever. Those are not the important things. The important things is, are we proclaiming the good news of the gospel? And we do that in different ways and in different styles, and we come from so many different places, countries, and backgrounds, and that's really a wonderful gift that the church receives from us. Amen. Thank you, sister. One of the things I love talking to you about, mm-hmm. and w- one of the reasons I love to talk to you, is that you are such a joy-filled witness of the gospel in all of your stories in the ways that you encounter people. And yesterday we were just sitting around the lunch table and you shared some of your history, the, the ways in which the, the intimate conversations with other people brought you closer to God. And I wondered if you could kind of recount that story again here to, with us today. Thanks, Jennifer. You know, one of the, um, I just read an article for, somebody asked me to write one for the 10 years of Pope Francis. And the thing that's basic to Francis, and he as a Jesuit, um, of course, is a religious, is our encounter with Jesus Christ. That nothing else counts unless we really know who this Jesus is. And we become passionate proclaimers of this God who loves us. And that's so, so important. And so I talked about that, how we have different encounters with people in our lives. And sometimes we don't realize it, but Jesus always walks with us. And I was telling a little bit of my vocation story. I was one in one religious community for over 20 years and went in a on a leave of absence and was working as a social worker in a Title 20 daycare center. And I was just being me and being um, sure that the parents were helped, etc. And one day, one of the parents who was single and um, was going to school said to me, Pat, can I ask you a personal question? And I said, well, you can, but I don't know if I can answer you. <laughs> and she said are you a nun or some kind of religious person? And I said, well, why do you ask that? And she said, because you treat us differently than anyone has treated us before. And I kind of was confused with that because, you know, the women who cared for these children while they were sleeping, the babies were sleeping, they were reading their Bibles. I was in the staff room reading Vogue, so (laughs) it was not like as if I was being some kind of pious person, um, you know, that they were encountering. I, I was just being me, but I think that's the whole thing. How do we love? Who are we? Because that's what we bring to God's people. And so um, I came home that night, and I was like, oh, this is crazy. And I, I went to bed. And the next morning, I woke up. And I really think it was the Spirit of God speaking to me. And I heard in my heart, you are called to be a public person who professes the love of God. And I realized then that it wasn't 
whether I wore a habit, I didn't wear a habit, what theology, it was that I was called to proclaim the good news that God loves us, that God is always merciful with us, that God is always forgiving. And I, then I started on a process of which I became, I transferred my vows to the Caldwell Dominicans. So I've been a sister for 58 years, and 38 of those have been with my Dominican community today. But I think that that's true of so many people. We, we don't realize that the little things that we do make a difference in people's lives. Amen. Amen. That I'm... I've got chills, sister. What a witness of uh, a, a good and holy life. Like just, I. But I think that's <laughs> the whole thing. Is that's what holiness is about. You know, people try to be holy by they read twenty prayers a day, and then they have six other books that they're reading and whatever. And all those things are good. I'm not by any means um, saying don't do what you need to do. But the holiness is really being faithful to who we are. It's really living out of that passionate place of the relationship that we have with Jesus. And it's nothing extraordinary. Like, I don't think my life is extraordinary. I think it's what everybody should be doing. So, And I've met many wonderful people who do do that in their lives, you know. I've, I, I know mothers and fathers and, and people in business and priests and, and other religious and even the cardinal who live their lives that way. And that's what we're about, you know. Um, last night at the uh, Chrismas, the Colonel talked about that, and that he said, you know, we're not here to proselytize, but we're here because of our witness to draw people into Christ. And I think that's so important for us today. You know, sometimes we get all kinds of craziness with. Um, what's happening to the church, and there is division, and there is pain, and there is sin. But there's also new life, and this Sunday we're going to be celebrating Easter. And that's the promise, you know. Our lives are messy. Our world is messy. And our church is messy. But there's more than that, because Jesus stands in the midst of the mess and tells us it's okay, that he'll never leave us. And so we always have that hope. You know, when we die, we're not going to have a cross at the top of our coffin in church. We're going to have the Easter candle because that's the promise. The promise is there will be pain and suffering and all kinds of difficulties, but in the end, there's new life. Life doesn't end. It changes. And I think that's what we have to remember, you know, and that's what we have to put our hope in, because if we really believe in this Jesus, we know that like the early disciples, they didn't understand everything. Even when Jesus rose, they weren't sure what it was. He had to tell them <laughs> not to be afraid. Yeah. He had to eat with them because he wanted them to know he wasn't a ghost. <laughs> but he was who he was, and he came with hands and feet and side wounded so that they knew this was him. This was the man that they knew who had suffered and died in such an ignominious way on a cross, and yet he was alive. And he lives in our midst, too. We, we need to remember that. We need to have hope. 
knowing that God is is beyond anything we can imagine. God's love, we can't even imagine it. No. Um, that's... A, I'm 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 dumbstruck. I'm sorry. You're just. It's no wonder that you're a, a Dominican in the order of preachers. I could listen to you all day, really. Well, the Mormons do have a little <laughs> bit of the gift of gab too. My brothers can go on as well. <laughs> but um, uh, there's that quote from uh, Saint Jose Maria Escrivá. He did not say you would not be troubled. You would not be tempted. You would not be distressed. But he did say you would not be overcome. Well, I mean, I think that's that's why that relationship with Jesus is so important. And that's why prayer has to be central to our lives. Prayer isn't something we do. It's a relationship that we have with someone. And that person is Jesus. Oh. You know, um, the as we go through Easter time, you know, we hear the the, um, disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're confused, and they're sad, and they don't know what to do, and Jesus walks with them. Yeah. And when they realize that it's him in that breaking of the bread, they run all the way back to Jerusalem to share it. Yeah. And that's the whole thing with us, too. See, if we know it, then we can share it, and we can offer people life and hope when they can't see that. Yeah. You know, um, I've mentioned a couple times in the last couple episodes, and it's also why we haven't had as many episodes that since December, you know this, that I've been dealing with kind of a heavy medical uh, mm-hmm. diagnosis. And so many people have been praying for me. Um, it's just been overwhelming when people come and ask me, you know, how, how I am. And, and the amazing, I got some amazing, amazing news this past week that um, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. And so, um, but I, I was kind of, people kept saying from the outside, oh, you're so strong to go through that. You're so like, you know, and it, it's not for me. It was just letting Jesus love me in my weakness and really surrendering all of the all of, all of the stuff that I, I would have been afraid of to him and saying, I'm right here with you. I need you to help me through this. And that um, personal relationship is something that, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to wake up if I didn't have that relationship with him every morning, because sometimes it's it is overwhelming and the world is scary. Well, it is. But, you know, that's the whole sense, too, of being church, of being the community of believers, you know, that we don't do this by ourselves. Sometimes we're the person lifting someone up and sometimes we're the person needing to be lifted up. You know, people sometimes say, even with going to Mass, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I don't really need to go to Mass because I pray by myself and I have a spiritual life. And I say, that's true. But it's when we gather around that table that we know who we are, Yeah, that we come together and we become one. You know, um, I like to, after communion, watch the people who are going up to receive communion because they are the body of Christ. And they're rich and they're poor and they're sick and they're children and all kinds of vocations of marriage and single life and priesthood and religious life. And we are the body of Christ. And so we lift each other up 
and we are lifted up when we need that as well. Yeah. And Jesus stands in the midst of us all. Absolutely. I, I, I know we were having a conversation about this, too. You mentioned a priest who knows which mass and where in the mm. church that his parishioners sit. Yeah. And, and, you were, and I said, well, you know, as, a, as the cantor, who also mm. usually sits up and faces the up front and faces the congregation, that is um, something that I'm, I don't always know everybody's name, but I know which mass you go to and where you sit in the church because mm. I, I, wa- I watch. And that's my favorite thing to do is to watch people receiving the Eucharist and then their their face or their their posture or it's like the, the new life is recreated in them. Like the grace of sitting there and seeing that in people is just... It renews my spirit, and it renews, I'm sure, the people who get to experience that. Yeah, that was my time when I worked with uh, Monsignor Del Preet in Hoboken, and really, um, he he did know the smell of his sheep. And it was that sense also, you know, uh, Hoboken is, I don't know if it still is, but it was the land of young adults, and his presence, it wasn't that he he was a good preacher and everything, but he knew his sheep, and they knew him. And I, I remember vividly um, he and Father Joe D'Amico sharing how when the, the terrible disaster of the World Trade Center, they sat on the rectory steps to be available to people who were coming in and, and coming to pray and coming distraught and not, not knowing what to do because of this terrible tragedy. My brother and I were one of those people. Mm. I, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's, you know, those are the kind of examples. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's um, it's that pastoral presence. But it's also people, you know, it's it's talking to the people in the shop, right? And it's um, the people, you know, when we go to the doctor's office, you know, and it's 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 everybody it's it's you know sometimes people think well it's the priest and the religious that's their job no it's everybody's job everybody by our baptism is called to follow jesus everyone's called to serve and everyone's called to live the evangelical counsels of poverty chastity and obedience but we all do those differently because of our vocations and our calls in life religious do that in a different way because we do public vows to remind the church of that money is a good thing. A lot of people have helped a lot of people because of money. You know, we just had this Irish breakfast, and and that was because of the generosity of people who gave their money. But money can't make us happy. And the same with with sex. Sex is a good thing. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have wonderful mother and father who produced 13 children. (laughs) Sister Pat, you're making me blush. (laughs) But the reality is... But that... But the reality is that in itself, it can't make us happy. Right. And power or doing our own thing, it's good. We, We... You know, when people who have power can do great things. But again, it can't make us happy. And that's what our life is about to say, that although those things are can be very good, they're not the totality. Only God can make us happy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like 
my brain is not working because I just I get like I said I get dumbstruck when you start talking because you just you you're so filled with the spirit and you're so generous with the sharing of it. So um, at, we're on Tuesday of Holy Week and we're about to go through these very dramatic but also very emotionally and spiritually engaging commemorations of our Lord and His Passion. And on Sunday we'll be celebrating with the greatest joy, the resurrection. And I know you mentioned that you were going to have to put together a sermon for your community. So I'm putting you on the spot if you have any other thoughts that are culminating. Well, I didn't they don't listen, it. right? It's due by Wednesday. Okay, see? <laughs> it's, it's, we, we have a keeping in touch. It's on Facebook as well for the Sisters of St. Dominic. And each week, one of us uh, breaks open the word and reflects on that. Um, you know, on Facebook and in what we call Keeping in Touch, which goes to our sisters, but also our Dominican associates. Uh, so in, in, in my preparation for that, I, I pray a long time before I ever write anything, and then I just do it. And I guess my thought of Easter this year, you know, look, listening to the readings and, and just thinking about is that whole sense of it was, it was an unexpected thing. Even though Jesus told them he would rise, they didn't understand what that meant. The women came to the tomb not because they thought they were going to find Jesus. They came because Jesus died on a Friday. And so in order to be, keep the Sabbath, they had to hurriedly prepare his body for burial. And they were coming back on that Sunday morning to make sure everything was properly done because they loved him so much. And so they experienced the joy of an angel, a man, whoever, saying, he's not here, he's risen. Go and tell everybody that, and he'll meet you in Galilee. And I think in our lives, too, sometimes we don't understand, and sometimes we need someone to remind us that he's risen, that he's alive, and that we need to go and to tell the others that we've experienced that experience of resurrection as well. Amen. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Do you have anything else you want to say? No. Let's, <laughs> let's just pray for each other during this, especially as we begin the Sacred Triduum on Thursday, uh, knowing that um, as we enter into those mysteries of Jesus' Last Supper, his struggles, his pain and his suffering and his death, that he, the end of the story is that there's life, that there's hope that there's joy. And so in closing, the whole the Heart of the Ark podcast is partially inspired by Pope Francis's Urbi et Orbi from 2020 when the world was all locked down and he was the only one in the center of St. Peter's Square. And he gave this extraordinary blessing to the whole world. And at the end of it, even though it was such a stark, scary moment for our whole world, he read from Psalm 117, just in the middle of everything. And so it's very simple. All he, it was the Laudate Dominum. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you so much, Sister Pat, and happy early Easter. Yes. Part of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Very soon we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark, but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at Heart of the Ark. Dot fireside dot fm. Our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by Eric Hunter, a dear friend of mine. You can find out more about Eric and his performances and compositions at Eric E R I C Hunter H U N T E R Music This has been a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you in the future. <laughs>